John 1, 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Good morning. Welcome to Elevation. If this is your first time here, uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, you guys may have seen this already uh, on Facebook, but uh, I know that the Nelsons are watching from live stream. So hello, Lauren. Hello, Pastor Phil. And we also have a, a picture of, yeah, little Emery. Oh, so we're praying for her, praying for Lauren's recovery and uh, praying for Phil to be useful. So <laughs> all those things. I might I might pay for that later. <clears throat> but we're starting a new sermon series uh, today, and it is called A Chapter a Day. I know we spent months and countless hours pouring over our creative team to come up with a title, but uh, we wanted to... Um, we wanted the simplicity of it, because really our heart behind this is that you would spend daily personal time in the presence of God, in his word. Uh, Sunday to Sunday just won't do. You may come in, you may receive something from the Holy Spirit, but then come Tuesday, Wednesday, the week is hitting you and you're running on empty. Even if you're involved in community groups, same thing. You have to be poured into. You have to be poured in daily to the presence of God. And so we are going to just uh, commit to a chapter a day. And we, we want to encourage every one of you. We're going to be starting in the book of John. It's really going to be not, the days are going to correlate. It's perfect that this is October 1st. We're going to be doing John chapter 1. And we want to invite you to come on this journey with us. Spend time in the Word every single day. Learn more about who Jesus is, who God is. And because of that, learn more about who we are because of what Jesus is and what he's done for us. So I want to encourage you all to participate in this. And uh, all the groups are going to be going along with this. So if you want to get connected in a group, you can also see me or also check out our app. Uh, We have all of the groups on there. Um, So I'm just going to pray uh, for our time and then uh, we're going to get rolling. Lord, I just... um, I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you so much that you have, we are unique and privileged and that we have your word to just learn from. We can learn about who you are, God, and who you are, Jesus, and your great, great love for us. And so, God, I just pray that today is a day where we encounter your presence. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill this atmosphere, fill this room, God, and I pray that because we are in your presence, Lord, we are forever changed. It's in your name. Amen. So I I don't know if you know 
much about me. If you're close to me, you'll probably figure this out. But I am really mischievous in nature. Uh, it drives my wife crazy. She wants me to, uh, I don't know, she wants me to get rid of that as much as I possibly can. And it's uh, old habits die hard, I guess. And um, But one particular uh, time where I feel like I probably uh, took it a little too far was that I was in high school. And so I'm the youngest of three kids. Uh, my older brother is five years older than I am. And at this time, so I was in high school. He was in college, but he was studying abroad in Italy. And I had just gotten done with basketball practice. And so I was calling my mom to let her know that, hey, I needed her to come pick me up. One thing to also note is that me and my brother sound very similar, and we talk very similar. So when I called my mom, I said, hi, mom. And she goes, Johnny. It's a bad imitation, but we'll we'll go with it. So she was so excited that it was my brother calling from Italy. And so I had a choice to make. I could correct her, or I could just kind of play along. So uh, I chose the latter, and started talking about my time in Italy, how things were going, how I got to go to the market and meet new people, and learning the language. She was loving it. And so about two or three minutes in, I finally was just like, it was either running out of things to say or it was just too much. I was like, yeah, Mom, it's Daniel. I'm done with basketball practice. Can you come pick me up? And she goes, Daniel! Hangs up the phone, which I think I definitely deserved. Uh, But... The reason I think about that story is I think sometimes when it comes to our spiritual journey, uh, we have misconceptions about the character and the nature of God. That we have things that we've either picked up or things that we've learned or taught or just life experience has shaped our view of God. And we may be having this conversation with God. We may be uh, orienting our life, orienting our relationships based on on an understanding of God that may not be true and that may be leading us in the wrong direction. And so I love that we're starting out with first or with John chapter 1 because I think John chapter 1 especially in the beginning the first 18 verses really puts two questions to light. The first question is who is Jesus and consequently who is God? And the next question is, because of Jesus, who am I to God? How do I relate now to God? And to be honest, I don't know if there's two greater questions that we can have to shape our lives. Because because of your experience or what you grew up with, you may think that God is just an angry God. And that your relationship to him is based on how good you've been. So whenever you're bad, you're, you're ang- you're, you think he's angry, and so you hide from him. Or maybe you just think he's distant. Maybe there was something in your life that you really needed God to come through on, and, and he just didn't. And so you've just kind of said, enough, you know, you let me down. And those things, those instances, and those experiences, how real they are, have shaped our view of God, and also how God relates to us. So I want to look at three different things that we see in John chapter 1 as it relates to the character of Jesus and what that teaches us about God. And then I'm going to, we're going to take those three things and kind of break it down to see what that now means for us, what that looks like us going forward. 
So if you have your Bible, we have Bibles here. If you don't have one, if you have your app, you can just turn to John chapter 1, and I'll be bouncing around a little bit. Um, But the first thing that we see is that Jesus, in the very beginning, is described as the Word. It says in John 1, 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing has been created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. What's interesting is that John is brilliant. The Apostle John is brilliant in that he calls Jesus the Word. Uh, because when you're having, even I love to people watch, me and my wife do this when we go out on dates. We are trying to figure out if people are on their first dates or not or what's kind of going on, and so we're just observing. But until we engage them in conversation, we don't really know the whole story. We can observe from interactions. We can observe what they're doing. Or even a better example, if you see somebody crying, you don't know if they're crying from sadness or they're crying from joy. So all that, you can kind of make assumptions about what's going on in somebody's situation, but until they actually say something, you don't know what's really going on. And so Jesus is the Word. He takes what is invisible about God, the mysteries about God, the qualities of God that we can glean from the Old Testament, and all of a sudden He, he becomes Word. He is God revealed. So the implications is that Jesus being the Word means that he reveals the true nature of God. It says in John 1.18 that no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. And what's also interesting about the, the word, word, is that in the Greek that translates as logos. Now logos is where we get our word logic, reasoning, Different things like that. And so when it says that Jesus is the word, it's also saying that Jesus is the logic of God. You see, when we have just the Old Testament text to go off of, we can see God in different lights. We can see him as maybe angry. We can see him as vindictive. We can see him in lots of different areas. But we don't get the full and complete picture. We don't get the logic. We don't get the reason for God until we get Jesus. Because God is not contained necessarily into his book, even though the book gives us truth. What's really amazing is that God reveals himself as a person. And when there's a person is revealed, you get actions. You get intent. You get uh, interactions with people. A person is something and someone that you can follow. So through Jesus, we see the Father's heart. We see humility, we see his unfailing love, and we see a desire for him to set us free. The second thing that we see, and this is all coming from uh, 1 John 14, is that the word became flesh. Now this is amazing, it's a small, flesh is just a small word, but there's so much implications to this. Think of it this way, God became vulnerable. God, the Almighty, the one who literally spoke, 
and galaxies, everything that was created was created through Jesus, made himself vulnerable as a baby, became limited, felt hunger, needed to be fed, felt sadness, felt rejection, felt injustice, felt abandonment. He even felt abandonment from God in the Garden of Gethsemane. So with Jesus now becoming flesh, there's three things that I want us to look at. First is that with Jesus coming flesh, he bridged the gap between God and us. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. So no longer is there this gap between humanity and God. No longer is God necessarily distant. God is now with us. God is now tangible. God is uh, among us. The other thing that we see is that when Jesus became flesh, that we now can be set free. It says this in, in Hebrews two fourteen through 15. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who, uh, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who, are li- all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So Jesus, when he came and he became his flesh, he became vulnerable, he became killable. He became the ability to become a sacrifice for us so that he could break all of the power, all of the chains that we carry on from decisions that we've made or from people hurting us. We carry them. And he was able to break all of that. And the third thing that you see is that Jesus, because he became flesh, he now relates to our humanity. In just a few verses down in Hebrews 2, it says, Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God, meaning that he would be the one that would intercede on our behalf. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. And I love this. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. When God became flesh, when Jesus became flesh and vulnerable, he also experienced everything that we go through. And think about that. Think about the amazing relatability that now Jesus has with us. If you are experiencing Injustice, if you are experiencing pain, suffering, if someone has betrayed you, you have somebody that you can turn to that knows exactly what you're going through, that has experienced it all on his own. It says that we can cast our cares on Jesus because he cares for us. And not only is he, did he experience it, but he broke the power of it. And that's good news for all of us as we are going through these things. So the Word became flesh. And the third thing that we see is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Word dwelled 
actually can be translated as tabernacled, which I maybe have made up a word there, but it's, it's tabernacle burbed. Uh, the tabernacle was a place of worship for the Israelites. As soon as they left Egypt, they had given instructions on how to build a tabernacle, and it became not only the place of worship, but the place that housed the presence of God. And so until the temple was built, they always had the tabernacle as the place that would go before them. It was the place that whenever they would set up camp, it was central to their camp. And it was the place that God dwelt. And what's amazing is that when it says that the word dwelled or tabernacled among us, what happened was a total shift in how religion uh, care was carried out. Because no longer now was the presence of God confined to a building, to a location. No longer was there a sacred temple or a sacred tabernacle. What Jesus was coming to do was going to undo all of that because now what was going to happen was people were going to become sacred. People were going to be the things that house the presence of God. In, in every other religion... There is sacred places with sacred people that interpret sacred text and they have uh, sacred, I guess, rules that you have to keep to maintain your relationship with God. Except for Christianity. Except for following Jesus. And, and I know there's a skeptic in all of us that says, all right, well, we are in a building. You're up on stage. You're talking about... Uh, this text, and you're imploring us to follow Jesus. But there's something amazing is that this building is not the church. That this building is, doesn't need to house the presence of God. You don't need me to interpret this. You don't need uh, to follow a long list of rules to finally be made right with God. Jesus changed Everything. He changed every way we do religion now. And you know what? The implications of that for us today is that means that the person sitting next to you is the most sacred thing on this planet. That there's no holy site. There's no uh, place on this planet that is more sacred to God than the person next to you. This is a really, really tough thing for us to get our minds around. I think about, I think about just the state of our world and a, a country, and I just I feel like there's such a spirit of division that's that's just taken place, and people are becoming less and less sacred. Other things are becoming more important than people, and we're polarizing ourselves. We're dividing ourselves. Racism is elevating one race over the other. Idealism is, 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 level, is raising an idea above a person. And we have just, I feel like this grieves the heart of God. It grieves the heart of God because people matter. People matter to God. And I know that there's times when we don't agree Unnecessarily people's opinions, but our opinions should never elevate us over somebody else. Our opinion should never be anything that dehumanizes anybody, regardless of how much we disagree with what they have. 
They are sacred to God. They are a housing place for the Holy Spirit. And it's so easy to to try to jump on something that makes us villainize somebody else and dehumanize them and just slander them. And I just think that grieves the heart of God. Because Jesus came to change that. Jesus came to break all that. Jesus leveled the playing field when he came here. Because all of us had all fallen short. There was no special men. There was no special people to interpret scriptures. Jesus made all of that available to us when he gave us the Holy Spirit and when he died on the cross. And so the implications that the word now became flesh and dwelt among us means that people matter means that if you come into this church, you don't need to, you can belong before you even believe. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what you've brought in here. It doesn't matter what you're currently struggling with, what addictions you are dealing with. That doesn't matter because you matter more. You matter more. And Jesus changed all of that. So we see that The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was vulnerable and he gave us access to God. So I want to look at two implications that now because of Jesus doing this, what, how, who are we now to God? How do we relate to God? The first thing that we see is that we're his children. See, John 1, 12 says, but all who believed him, Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Maybe because of your experience, maybe uh, the, your childhood, the thought of God being a, a heavenly father and you being his child is just hard. Uh, maybe it's hard for you to receive the love of the heavenly father because of the experiences you've had with your earthly father, or lack thereof. But Luke 15 goes through a couple parables. There's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. And many of you have have read these parables, and Jesus spoke in a way that he would reveal truth by these stories. Um, But I love the story of the prodigal son in seeing the nature of God as a father as he relates to his children. Uh, So I'll summarize the story real quick. Uh, The father has two sons. The younger son goes to the father and he says, I want you to go ahead and divide up the inheritance that you're going to give me when you die, and I'm going to take it right now. Basically saying, all right, dad, you're not dying quick enough, so I want all your stuff that you're going to give me, and I'm going to roll out. So the father obliges, probably much to the shock of the crowd listening, And so he gives him, divides all half his wealth and gives it to the younger son. And the son goes off and just spends it. Spends it on whatever, whatever he wants to. Wild living, women, alcohol, whatever, whatever vices he could find, I'm sure he spent it on. And so he ran out of money. And then a famine comes and he has no work. He has nothing he can do. And so he feeds pigs. And he's so hungry that he wants to eat the slop that the pigs are eating. And then he comes to this realization that the servants in my dad's house, they eat so much better than this. Why am I still here? 
I just need to, I need to go home. And so he decides that he's going to go home. But when he goes home, he's deciding, I need to be, just be a servant. I've wronged my dad. I've, I have done some terrible things. I see my mistakes. I'm just going to go back as a servant. And it says in verse 19, it says, I'm no, no longer worthy to be called a son. Please take me as your hired servant. And so when he returns to his father, his father sees him from afar off. And he just runs. He says he's filled with love and compassion. And he runs to his son. And he embraces him. And he kisses him. And he gives him the finest robe. Meaning he's clean now. He's washed away. He gives him a ring which symbolizes power. He, he gives him uh, the feast. An amazing feast. And the son who is expecting to come back as a servant now is, turn, is back into sonship. And I love that picture because for me, I don't know if you've experienced this, but when I, when I know I'm wrong and I'm coming back to God to ask for forgiveness, I come with guilt and I come with shame. And I just don't think that I'd ever be deserving of his love. And so I'm just going to settle for being a servant and just always groveling in the past. And God came running for me when I came home. And He wants to do the exact same thing for each one of you. If you are experiencing the guilt and the shame of your past, and you just don't know, you're like, God, I just don't know. I just don't know if you'll ever be able to receive me again for all the stuff that I've done. And He is just waiting run as soon as you turn and catch you and embrace you because in the father's arms every failure all shame and all guilt it melts away and because of what Jesus came to do we are now sons you are daughters of God the second thing that we see is that we are recipients of unfailing love and faithfulness. Verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I love that the Apostle John Describes Jesus as being full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Because I feel like everything else will always overpromise and underdeliver. Things will promise people, status, careers, money, will promise unfailing love, will promise acceptance, will promise faithfulness, but will underdeliver. You see, when I was pursuing my own happiness, I knew it was right, but I was just kind of, I didn't believe it. And so I just kept on trying to figure out what it was going to be, what, what happiness was going to look like for me, and it just seemed like a missing target. And I'd go towards relationships, and it would just seem like it would just always leave me empty. You know, I would shift towards a career, think that that would give me validation, and it would always just fall short. You know, and maybe I just thought if I would get some sort of 
fame or money or status, so it still would fall short. And even marriage, you know, you hope that that marriage will be that unfailing love. But ultimately, I know that I have the ability to disappoint. And so does my spouse. And maybe kids. Maybe kids will finally be the thing that when you have kids, they'll love us unconditionally. And we came back from vacation and our son learned how to yell, no. So that's not happening. That's fun. But really, all of these other things, they want, they want our heart. They want us to think that we're there gonna that we're gonna find love and acceptance in them, that we're gonna find identity and validation in them, but they just fall short. And I don't know if you can have seen that or experienced that. But it's so disappointing and it's so disheartening. But what's unfailing love that we find in Jesus? It's a love that won't abandon us. It's a love that's not based on performance. It's a love that isn't based on what others think of you. It's a love that isn't based on how beautiful you are. It's a love that isn't insecure. It's a love that fights for you even when you run away and reject it. It's a love that will never guilt you or bring you to shame. That is unfailing love in Jesus. And you know what's amazing is that Jesus wants you to have that. He's not expecting you to jump through a ton of hoops, follow a ton of rules. He just wants you to experience the love that he is ready to pour out on your life. Because if he was willing to leave heaven full of glory and come to earth to be vulnerable, to be killable, and to not be able to take care of himself, knowing he was going to be rejected by the people that he wanted to save, knowing that he was going to take the punishment for every wrong choice that I had made and every wrong choice that humanity had made, and he was going to take the punishment for it. And then he defeated it. And now he gives us the ability to live as he lived, free from those chains, free from the empty promises. Do you think you can trust him? Do you think he's worth following? Do you think he has your best interest at heart? Do you think he's worth leaving those things that just are going to disappoint you and give you so, so much more? You see, later on in John chapter 1, Jesus is calling his disciples and he's extending an invitation to them. He's telling them to come and see, come and experience, come be a part. And honestly, that invitation is for us all right now. Jesus is extending an invitation that says, come, experience this. Experience this life that I want you to have. Experience this unfailing love. Experience a life where I will never leave you or forsake you. Experience a life where you can lay down everything at my feet, knowing that I've walked in your shoes. I will walk with you in those experiences. He will never let us down. He's good, just like we sang about. And so I'm going to pray and the band can come up. Um, But I want to extend that invitation to all of you. 
You see, we're going to be reading a chapter a day. And in the reading of the chapter a day, we're going to learn more and more about who God is, who Jesus is, and who you are in his eyes. But it takes an invitation. It takes receiving it. You see, God won't push himself on you. He loves you too much. He wants you to choose. And so, I just want to pray. And if for you, this is the prodigal son moment where you've been with the father and now you walked away and you need to come back. You need to come home. And I would invite you to do that. If for you, this is the first time that you have experienced this or have experienced the love of Jesus or want to experience the love of Jesus, the invitation is the same. So I'm going to pray. You can follow along with me silently if you want to. And then we're going to worship. Jesus, I don't deserve this. You call me son. And I know what I've done. But you've wiped away all my guilt and you've wiped away all my shame. And you've called me home and you threw a party for me. And and right now, the invitation is for everybody here the exact same thing. And so, Father, if you're tugging on somebody's heart this morning to come home, whether it's for the hundredth time or the first time, God, give us the strength to pray this. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, I want to come home. I know you've forgiven me of my sins, and so I receive that now. My past is no longer mine. You have taken it away. And now my future is yours. All the goodness that you have for me is now my future. pray that I would receive your goodness. Jesus, help me to follow you. Help me to trust you. Help me to experience your love. And God, transform me from the inside out so that I can love others the way you love me. If that was the first time you prayed that, if you're with, if you're all by yourself, I want you to come up after the service and just say hi to me. I'd love to you and welcome you into the family. If you're with somebody, I pray that you would just pull them aside and just say, we're in the family now. But for all of you that have been coming home, just know there's no guilt, there's no condemnation. That the Father is running to you and so right now I want you to experience that embrace. A big Father bear hug that says, I love you drenched with tears that says you're my son you're my daughter I love you so so much Jesus thank you that you made all of this possible it's in your amazing name that we sing